It's the second to last podcast. It's the second to last show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Sondheim on Adderall, now with 100% less crying. Very, uh, felt very strange about the amount of crying that occurred in the last episode, the Sunday in the Park with George episode. Came very close to not releasing it. Not gonna lie to you. Um, but as always, when I uh, feel ambivalent about things I've said or done here at Sondheim on Adderall, I remember uh, that it doesn't matter because I'm not a public figure and this is not a uh, thing that is heard by the masses. So uh, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that one. And um, I, I, listen, the, the fact that I uh, teared up on Mike was not that that wasn't the part that was embarrassing to me I think it was the fact that I realized that it was happening and uh, may or may not have then milked it a little bit <laughs> uh, I felt like William Hurt in broadcast news when he does that interview with the uh, rape survivor and they find out that he must have manufactured his tears because it was a there, there was a, only one camera and so to do a second angle anyway um which is not to say I uh, fake cried, but um, yeah, I embellished my crying when I noticed the crying starting because I was like, oh, this is content. And then I felt uh, like a filthy whore uh, when I did that. Anyway, I, I, I'm confident that there will be, th this is the other one that makes me cry, but I feel like it's not going to happen in this episode. Um, so like I said, it's the second to last podcast. Um, this is episode nine of 10, uh, in season one, <laughs> which may or may not be the only season. We'll see. Um, uh, I, I, the, 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 I'm doing the 10 Sondheim shows that I feel that I can talk about for, uh, one hour or more. Uh, if you've been with us from the beginning or if you've read the episode list um, since then you may or may not notice that uh, certain shows have been skipped I did not talk about Anyone Can Whistle I did not talk about Do I Hear a Waltz I did not talk about Follies I didn't uh, talk about Pacific Overtures and I will not talk about Passion um, these are shows which you know I'm not going to say I don't like the shows but I, I, I have not locked in for whatever reason um I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm going to get to a certain age, or maybe I'm at that age now, where uh, where passion is going to make sense to me, and I'm going to lock in, and I'm going to be like, <laughs> I wish I could forget you, erase you from my mind, and I'm going to realize that I'd been wrong the whole time. It's happened before, but uh, I don't have the energy to, you know, learn a new Sondheim show right now. So the 10 that I'm doing in this first season are the 10 shows that um, I'm fluent in. Also, you know, uh, uh, Follies is full of great songs, as we all know. Could I Leave You, Losing My Mind, The God Why Don't You Love Me, Oh You Do, I'll See You Later Blues. Like, the, it's, the, it's uh, all killer, no filler. It's just, there's really no, I could be wrong about this because all of my knowledge is very dated. There is no definitive version of Follies to use as a touchstone. I did read the libretto, the book, the James Goldman book, enjoyed it, uh, but I just, I, I don't know what to say about Follies. Sorry, just don't, uh, don't have a lot of opinions on it. 
and I have a lot of opinions on other things. So why why uh, cultivate more opinions when I already have more than I know what to do with? Let's go to the Sondheim on Adderall news desk. There was a um, news item that I heard of on a, a podcast uh, this week that I thought I would bring to your attention because it's relevant to a few things we've talked about. Now, um, as I've stated many times in the past, this is an anti-Andrew Lloyd Webber podcast. And uh, we, we Sondheim and Adderall is a, supports fully um, aspects of Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita. But uh, overall... Assuming anyone wants to draw lines between who are the masters of musical theater, Lloyd Webber or Sondheim, there's a clear answer. And um, I'm sure he's a very nice man. He might not be. He doesn't seem that nice. Anyway, um, there was an interview (laughs) this week from a political figure. You may have heard of him. His name is Donald J. Trump. He was our president for a few years back. Um... And so Phantom of the Opera is closing on Broadway. I don't know if you heard about that. Good riddance to bad rubbish, if you ask me. Now, this Trump character, I don't know if he... So he was interviewed by Steve Bannon, I think, and I'm not even sure what the source was. I don't think that anyone would have let this happen on Fox News necessarily anymore, or I don't know what the platforms are called. I know there's... He's doing Truth Social instead of Twitter. I, I try not to stay up on Trump things for the purpose of getting myself mad because I feel that that is bad for our souls, for the soul of the of the liberal American to uh, unite in our collective hate of the Republican Party and Trump, though there is much to hate about him and them. So I, I, I cannot do, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to do a Trump impression because I'm not an impressionist, and there are people that are good at it. I'm, I'm going to read this. Um, I'm gonna, it's a lot, so I'm going to power through this pretty quick with more or less the same tone of him, but I'm not doing a Trump impression. So they were talking about the closing of the Phantom of the Opera, Donald Trump and Steve Bannon, and this is all Trump talking and Bannon trying to get a word in, but um, here's what Trump said. This beautiful letter I get from Andrew Lloyd Webber, who was big before he did Phantom, but nothing like Phantom. And he did Jesus Christ Superstar, which was another great one. He did a lot of great things, but he said to me, because he lived in the building at Trump Tower, he knew me a little bit. And he said, I'd love to have you as my guest. I'm opening up a musical called The Phantom of the Opera. And I say, oh, let's go. And I say in the letter, okay, I'll go. And anyway, we went. And it opens with the chandelier, and you've seen it, right? The whole thing is great. It's a great, great musical. But he said, I'm opening a musical called The Phantom of the Opera. And I'm saying to myself, all right. And now I get many letters like that. I get letters like that still. Yeah, it's a little harder. They make you put masks on. I think Broadway is, uh, you still have to. It's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, if you had a Broadway theater right now, it's just brutal. Plus, what's happened to the city? And it closed last week. It did. It did. It was very sad because of what happened to the city. I think I know why it closed beyond that. But you got to have, you know, you got to have a lot of things going right. And they get so 
politically correct. And it, it did close, and I think it'd be very hard to have anything on Broadway, to open on Broadway, but Phantom was one of the greatest of all. Uh, so I go in, and I hear the music, and I say, this thing is unbelievable. And it didn't take long, because the music is so great. By the time we had intermission, it was like, this thing is incredible. And by the end, you know, with the whole thing, and the gondolas, and the candles, and him coming out, and the great music. And I play a lot of that music, you know. We go to a lot of places where we want background music. It's beautiful, and everybody likes it. But you go there and it's opening night for one of the most successful plays musicals ever I would say maybe the most but certainly one of the most and scene so there you go folks um, if you like Phantom of the Opera you are a Trump apologist and you're probably a Russian agent you are in the pocket of Putin if you think those melodies are catchy that's right listen I'm not the one that draws these lines. I'm not the one that says, uh, you know, if you uh, want no war with Ukraine, you're a Trump. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's not get into any of that. Uh, that uh, I thought that was funny uh, that Trump is uh, so in love with Phantom of the Opera, but like not because really because of any uh, actual like quality of it that's good, but like the fact that it's successful and the fact that there were gondolas as he said. That's his pronunciation of that. Gondolas. Can you say that either way? I've always said gondolas. Am I wrong? Is Trump wrong? Uh, anyway. This episode is not about the Phantom of the Opera, folks. This episode is about a wonderful musical called Into the Woods. The first musical that I fell in love with as a wee lad. And, um... It's very funny. The last three episodes, I feel like I've wanted to announce at the beginning. This one is my favorite, and I'm tempted to do that here. It's so good. God damn it, it's good. And it gets done all the time. It's, it feels like it's his most produced. And it's, 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 there's really no mystery. It's because it's got something for everyone. Something for everyone into the woods. Dumb. It's, um, it's timeless because it's about timeless fairy tales but also the music sounds like it could be you know it could be from the 80s it could be from today it could be from the fucking 16th century except for that drum machine on the witch's rap <laughs> which is you know I, I and that like it, it, whenever they redo it it doesn't get reorchestrated to sound more like you know they did the film in 2014 and they didn't have to reorchestrate anything because it's timeless because it's not tethered to any specific era or style uh nor are the stories uh this episode of this podcast is going to be a little bit different because um as far as like the background of the rehearsal process and the writing and the opening on broadway we get a lot of that from the book sondheim and company by craig zayden now i'm going to tell you something craig zayden is done with us for now or we're done with him rather because that book was published in 1986 and into the woods with oh shit when 88 right holy shit i should know this before starting a podcast sorry one second okay please excuse my ignorance 1987 november 5th 1987 into the woods opens at the martin beck theater runs for 764 performances uh it opens two days before my birthday when i turned four years old what do you think of that not much, huh? Um, yeah, 
the little boy in Pacific Palisades, California, that had no idea what was in store. How could he know what was in store? So yeah, into the woods. Um, let's briefly run down. Um, a lot of people have asked, nobody's asked, uh, that I do a quick summary of what these musicals are about for uh, those who... Not, uh, it would be dumb to listen to this podcast knowing nothing about the musical, but maybe you haven't seen it or heard it in a while and you need to be reminded. That's fine. Into the Woods is the intersection of uh, different classic fairy tales, folk tales, stories, uh, Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk, Rapunzel, and uh, who am I missing here? <laughs> a Little Red Riding Hood. But it's all sort of framed around this invented fairy tale of a baker and his wife who want to have a child, but they can't because there's a curse on their house. Uh, and the only way to get the curse reversed is to gather four items, uh, which are a cow as white as milk, a cape as red as blood, a, the hair as yellow as corn, and the slipper as pure as gold. Which, hey, that sounds familiar. Those are from all these fairy tales. So we're going to have a whole lot of fun with these fairy tale characters intersecting. And... Um, we have a whole first act where it's a rollicking good time and everybody has a happy ending ever after. Ever after! Uh, and at the end, uh, journey over, all is mended. Uh, but guess what, folks? The show is not over. It's only intermission. A lot of people go home because they're like, hey, that was good. Yeah, it was a nice, nice tight 90-minute uh, musical with no intermission. Great. I'm glad we did this. Let's go home and feel good about life. Um... No, no way. Please don't do that, because guess what? We have a whole second act, and so they had to add a line for the narrator, where he said, To be continued! So that people would fucking stay, because we got to deal with what happens after our happy ending. And in the second act, half the cast dies, and the shit hits the fan, and um, reality sets in, baby. It's great. So, um... The versions of these fairy tales, it throws people sometimes because it's the Brothers Grimm version. For instance, of Cinderella, it's not the Charles Perrault version. I'm actually in a children's literature class right now. I got my final coming up uh, a week from Thursday. And uh, we, we went over the Perrault version of Cinderella and the Grimm version of Cinderella. I was forced to watch the 2015 film of Cinderella, the Kenneth Branagh adaptation. With Kate Blanchett as the stepmother, and boy, was that thing a fucking snooze. Um, I may or may not have skimmed it and read the plot on Wikipedia. I know the plot, it's fucking Cinderella, but read uh, reviews and such to uh, get uh, to be able to pass a quiz about it, on it. Isn't that weird, to take a quiz on a uh, film from 2015? So anyway, um... The grim version of Cinderella, for instance, is uh, pretty dark. That's where we get the, the uh, oh, in order to try to fit in the shoes, Cinderella's stepsisters uh, cut off their toes and heels and get blood all over it. It's where Cinderella talks to birds and the birds peck out the eyes of her stepsisters. Um, I worked with a director once who was a very nice guy. But uh, the subject of Into the Woods came up and he said, it's overdone. People need to stop doing Into the Woods. It's done to death. There needs to stop being productions of Into the Woods. Now, my first instinct was like, that's true. There kind of are. But you know what? I disagree. On further consideration, 
I think it needs to keep being done because guess what? Maybe it's not for you, uh, director, who I'm not naming here. And maybe it's not for you anymore, Chris. It's for the new generations of children. The fact that, first of all, it's the sort of thing that's keeping theater alive. Because, or, or rather it should be. Because Into the Woods does something that a lot of musicals don't and a lot of theater does not do. Where it is accessible to children of all ages and it's actually good. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of children uh, musicals aimed at children that are not good. Okay? That's just my opinion. This one is great. And... I don't think I'm saying anything new or in original here, which is, should be the catchphrase of this show because I say that so often. But um, as you get older, if you latch on to Into the Woods as a child, you have these aha moments about the deeper meanings of things later. I got this a lot with um, I Know Things Now, a little Red Riding Hood song and Giants in the Sky and just like, okay, this is, uh, there's, there's some sexual element to this, uh, wolf Little Red Riding Hood thing, and, uh, about, uh, taking advantage and giants in the sky, like, it's, uh, but here's the thing, there's all these allegories and metaphors and, like, ways that you can expand on the ideas, but if you don't do that, if you're a person that does not want to interpret, you can also have a really great night at the theater because it's just great storytelling. Now, you know, the movie Get Out, um, that's an, I, I'd say for me that was another example of this where, okay, there are obviously a lot of uh, social things to be drawn from this, but uh, it's also just a really good horror movie and a good story. You know what doesn't do this is Jordan Peele's third film, Nope, which I saw kind of recently, and... I guess like there was some pleasure in sort of oh, let, let's what are, what are, what are we doing here like what is this what does this symbolize what's the larger meaning of this but if you stripped all that away it's actually kind of a weird pointless story and I think if uh, that's just my opinion it's like what what do we what what's happening with this these horses and this is weird and um, anyway into the woods is. Uh, has something for everyone, like I said, on every level. So far, I've said a lot of things that are obvious, but we're going to hopefully... <laughs> so, um, I need a break from Into the Woods personally, because, yeah, I mean, I have seen and heard it way too many times. Um, I didn't revisit the filmed play version of this, which, entry point, uh, check it out. That tends to be my recommendation is to, if there's a filmed play version of it, especially if it's with the original cast, go ahead and grab that. There is something, this is not in my notes, but I want to talk about this. There is something about original casts that even if they're not the best overall, like even if, the, you know, it's all subjective, of course, but, you know, even if it's done better later, there's a magic and an alchemy to being the first, the person to originate a role. So I always think it's a good idea to watch the original cast. And the filmed play version of Into the Woods is great. My stepson, I showed it to him when he was like uh, eight or nine years old after we saw the new movie when it came out. 
We're going to talk all about the new movie. I am a supporter of this new movie. I think it's good. I think it's the best Sondheim film adaptation. And um, I have uh, issues with it, of course. Who the fuck am I to have issues with anything? But um, I think it's a net positive adaptation, especially for kids. I will get deep into that, I promise. I know you were very concerned. I know you were worried that I was just going to... Uh, <laughs> glaze over things here and not be thorough but don't worry we're only at let's say 20 minutes hey i was right on the money we are at the 20 minute mark so um yeah i didn't revisit it i did rewatch. <laughs> well i did revisit it i did rewatch the 2014 film my personal experience of into the woods like i said is uh it's the first piece of theater that really blew me away i saw it at the actors co-op theater here in Los Angeles, California. This production of Into the Woods changed the color of the universe to me. These songs, they were familiar. I think it was another situation where my dad went to see it with my sister. Uh, my dad was a theater critic here in Los Angeles in the 90s. And he said, this one is so good, we gotta bring the whole family. And my uh, mom and dad and sister and other sister and myself went to go see it. I think that it's a public service uh, that it all, we should all be doing as theater people to keep putting on Into the Woods so that kids can go and see it and find it and fall in love with it the way that I did. Or they can go fall in love with other things in different mediums and that's fine. Um, they can go, they can uh, fall in love with that uh, Maisel dance challenge on TikTok if that's what inspires them. Whatever the hell inspires you, just do it. I'm not gonna get into a kids these days thing, but for me, Into the Woods, uh, very inspiring and started off a lifelong obsession with musical theater, especially really good musical theater, uh, like Sondheim musicals, thank you. So um, the cassette tape of Into the Woods uh, was a huge uh, artifact of my childhood, especially after seeing this, listened to it nonstop. Some of these uh, original cast recordings, like from the 70s and 80s, uh, with the stereo sound, I, I, um, I may sound ignorant here because I don't know a lot about uh, recorded sound, <laughs> as evidenced by the poor quality of this podcast, but it sounded large and echoey. It's that, it's those, it's that old way of recording an original cast recording where if you listen to it now in the 2020s, and you have like less than good headphones or like one of the earbuds isn't working, like you miss half of the singers because like there's somebody way over on the left side and someone way over the right side and someone in the middle and so on. It, there's like a big landscape and it seems like they don't do that anymore. Um, or it's maybe, it, I mean, I know that they still record things in stereo, but it doesn't seem like it's that like one guy over here, one lady over here um, in the ears. Was that really dumb what I just said? Same thing with the company, original cast recording. Make sure that you have two speakers that are in working order, or headphones, earbuds, before you listen to one of these old OCRs. That's what we call uh, original cast recordings in the business. OCR. Did you hear the OCR? Uh, <laughs> um, I've been cast in Into the Woods twice, and neither of these opportunities came to fruition. When I was in 10th grade, um, a person I went to school with was putting it on um, as like their senior project outside of school uh, at a little uh, place in Sierra Madre. And um, I was cast as Jack 
And I like at the mo at the time I fucking lived for it because I felt like I had a crowd finally. It was my first year at this arts high school, and I was like invited in, and we were all going. I would we, me and my best friend would take the bus to Sierra Madre after school, and then we would have these rehearsals, and then uh, the, this person that was directing it decided that they had too much. Uh, homework to do at the end of their senior year and uh decided with their parents that they would no longer put the show on and i was crushed um then later in let's call it 2017 i was cast in a different show i was cast in a show in orange county which was a fucking drive uh anaheim hills to be exact and I realized, like, ah, shit, like, this is going to be a huge sacrifice having to make this drive five nights a week. And then, like, I had conflicts with the performance schedule. Then I saw that there were auditions for Into the Woods in the Valley. And I was like, let me see if I can get cast in this show. And if I can get cast in this show, I'll drop the other show. Now, that's not the nicest thing to do to that first show. That's not a great thing to do. But I did it, and I got cast as Cinderella's Prince which was not the part I auditioned for and not the part I'm right for when uh, I'm not uh, on some sort of diet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I had more of an image of myself as a baker and that was what I was going for. I've had a lifelong dream to play the baker. They cast me as the Cinderella's Prince uh, and I was like, okay, let's, uh, I'll guess I'll do it. Then I find out like right after I'm offered the role that the show is double cast. I was like, oh, well, that's an unpleasant surprise. I hate being in shows that are double cast because I've, uh, I'm an egomaniac and I feel very territorial over a part. And so, but that's the, that's the situation. And then I get there and there's this draconian actor contract that I could not believe. We all had to sit down and go through it. And it was so fuck. It was like, if you, um, it was all the ways that they could dock your pay. And it was stuff like, if you don't hang up a costume item, we will dock your pay. If you, please do not put trash in the trash cans. Like, uh, oh, we don't want to have to take the trash out every night. If you uh, bring in a bottle of uh, Snapple, please just bring that empty bottle to your car or throw it away in a dumpster outside. Do not put things in the trash cans or we will dock your pay. You are required to take pictures in costume after the show with audience members or we will dock your pay. And so then I'm like, this is weird, but I sign it. And then I, I start doing a couple of rehearsals and I'm like, this is total fucking amateur hour. And I drop out and I do the Orange County show instead. Anyway, so never been in Into the Woods and maybe I never will. I think I need to uh, put on a few more pounds and grow a while bigger beard maybe to play the baker. I'm not necessarily. You don't need to have a beard. I saw a, a big baker with a beard once. Big baker with a beard. Um, so like I said, since there's no, I don't have a lot of information on this one about the um, rehearsal production process, and that stuff is interesting to me. I mean, I, that stuff is really fun to talk about, just because. Or, and from the, like I said a million times, the Craig Zaden book was really fun to read when I was little or younger preteen because it was what I kind of thought I wanted to do with my life. And it was felt like a window into what it's like to be in a Broadway show and specifically a Sondheim show and an OCR. 
But uh, I, th- I want to talk more about the themes of Into the Woods because I feel like it's very fertile territory. And, you know, take my opinions with a grain of salt. And if anything I'm saying also sounds obvious, take that with a grain of salt. Just be like, we know, Chris. Or don't listen to the fucking podcast. Go fuck yourself. One thing that's interesting about the fairy tales uh, in Into the Woods is that they exist in virtually every culture. There's uh, the, the, the Europe, uh, Africa, the China, Native Americans. Like, there's even a Hebrew Cinderella. With the exception of Jack and the Beanstalk, which apparently is uh, exclusive to uh, White Boy Summer. That's on just on the British Isles. But uh, all the other ones, there's a version of these stories in all these different cultures. What's really interesting, what ended up happening... Um, in, this is talked about a lot in Look, I Made a Hat by, from Sondheim himself. Uh, the baker and the wife, the baker and the baker's wife, who are the center of the story, they represent like the urban American every man, every woman, and they, you know they're just a couple. They're very likable. They're just they're just trying to have a baby and they're just trying to earn a living, man. They're just trying to sell their bread, and you love the bakers and the, you love the baker and the baker's wife. You have to, or else the play is doomed. And I've seen Into the Woods. A million times um, all over the place and it's hard I, I can't really remember ever seeing a production of Into the Woods where I didn't love the baker and the baker's wife I think it's hard to fuck that up because they're written so well or they're written so likably now the baker's wife meets a sad end and if you haven't seen Into the Woods please pause your device now and go watch it because uh, well too late because I just told you <laughs> the baker's wife dies. This all happens in the second act. Some people say, oh, some people say that the second act of Into the Woods is unnecessary. Some people even say all, many of the Sondheim second acts are not as good as the first act. And I imagine when people say that, they're talking about this one and they're talking about Sunday in the Park with George. And boy, do I disagree. The great Orson Welles said, Quote, if you want a happy ending, that depends, of course, on where you stop your story. You can stop your story at the happy, at the ever after, or you can do your second act where life continues, the shit hits the fan, things get better, things get worse, things get a lot worse, then things get a lot better. And for some people, that's just a little too interesting, unfortunately. Um, that's, is that judgmental? There's a Broadway Junior version of the show. If you're not familiar with what Broadway Junior is, uh, because you don't have, either don't have children that do theater or you've never worked in the field of children's theater like I have my entire fucking life. Um, they, they, uh, when you buy the rights to a show, um, Musical Theater International, which seems to own like most of the musicals that you buy the rights to, they have a Broadway Junior thing where you can get the kid version of a show which is usually a shortened abbreviated version that's going to run you about 90 minutes one hour to 90 minutes and they're going to simplify the music they're going to change the key for kids unfortunately they kind of just change it for like prepubescent kids like middle school productions so if you're doing an elementary school cast a lot of the male roles you're going to have some issues and you're going to have to you know break into garage band and change the key to those songs i'm not sure that's legal but i do it anyway the Broadway Junior of Into the Woods, folks, is just the first act. 
it's really just uh, the telling of the fairy tales and a happy ending. Now, I'm going to make a bold claim. That does a disservice to children. It's condescending to think that children can't handle the second act of Into the Woods. And if you reject the second act of Into the Woods, you are missing the point. In a way, and it's a way worse, uh, it's a way more egregious missing of the point than the rejection of the second act of Sunday in the Park with George. So, and I wonder about this, and, you know, I, I... I I I I I I I I I want to write a research paper on this for my children's literature class. Except there isn't one due. So if I wrote a research paper, that would be uh, um, I'm not going to be a tryhard and write a research paper. I'm supposed to write an analysis essay, and I'm already done with that. So, but can children experience catharsis in storytelling? Because that seems to be all over the place when you look at children's entertainment, especially more current children's entertainment. There tends to be two theories of, like, villains and bad guys and sad endings and negative things in children's entertainment. On the one hand, you still have stories where the bad guy is the bad guy and he gets owned. And it's not necessarily a guy. You know what I mean when I say bad guy. Toy Story 3, great example of that. Uh, that little stuffed bear. That's confusing, right? And that seems like it's that movie overall is maybe more intended for adults because of the places that it goes. It's more just like the, if you were a child when you saw Toy Story 1, then Toy Story 3 is supposed to be uh, the full circle experience for you. I haven't seen Toy Story 4 and so on. But um, like that little bear is like the bad guy, and then it seems like he's getting redeemed, but then he fucks them over again. And then it seems like he's being redeemed again, and then he just he meets a horrible end because he's wasn't he actually was just a bad, bad guy. But then a lot of other children's movies, books, whatever, like they they are very um hesitant to let the villain be the villain. Like the aforementioned 2015 Cinderella. You got Kate Blanchett as the stepmother going, I'm sorry. I'll be better. And I wonder about that. And I can't really find information on it. If you are a uh, early childhood development expert or a neuroscientist or a uh, child psychologist, or you know somebody in this field that wants to be on season two of Sometime on Adderall and explain this to me, and I'll try not to talk over them with my uninformed theories on it, uh, why can a is there a benefit to a child? Um, like, does everything need to be a lesson about how everybody is essentially good? Or can we have an experience of a villain? And by we, I mean the children. Can a child ha watch a bad guy get owned or, or experience a sad ending? Is that okay? I feel like it is, but I don't know anything. And I'm rambling. I love Into the Woods so much that even though the Broadway Junior version is a perverted, uh, you know, whitewash, I would totally direct it if um, the company I work for or any other company wanted to hire me to direct it. I tried to, in the company I worked for, I was in an administrative position in the last one for like eight years. Uh, I ran a children's theater program at a nonprofit, and I lobbied to have us do Into the Woods at one point, but like one of the higher ups at the company, like, oh, let me look over the script. And their objection to it 
to the junior version was the fact that the baker and his wife wanted to have a child and couldn't. And she said, oh, I wouldn't want to have to explain that to children, why they couldn't have children. Pretty fucking strange. I didn't like that lady that said that. So the first act is very intricately plotted and so um, gracefully done, the way that the stories intersect. Uh, the four items. The And the way that um, the happy endings... Like the, the 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 way that it compares with the sparseness and the bleakness of the second act, the opening number of the second act seems like it's resetting and we're going to do the exact same thing. It's going to be a sequel. We're oh, we're going on another adventure into the woods. Remember those characters that we fell in love with a few like an hour or so ago? We're going to watch them go back into the woods, and then it's so. And, but then nothing that doesn't happen because everybody dies. It's amazing. Am I the only one that likes things like that? I can't be. Into the Woods is uh, uh, adored by everybody. So, um, how many people just like the first act, though? We should take a poll. We shouldn't take a poll. Who cares? Where am I? The It takes these simple fairy tale more dilemmas, and it deepens them. It complicates them. Blah, 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 blah. Theme-wise, the woods. What do the woods represent? Now, if you're a child, if you're 10 years old, they're, they're just the woods. And that's fine. Someone going into the woods. I mean, obviously, it's like the woods are the, like the chaos of the outside world. You're stepping away from your claustrophobic little story with your shitty little family and your little fucking cottage, right? And you're going out into where nothing is uh, certain and anything can happen. Um, the Crucible, the Arthur Miller play, if you've ever read that and you've had the pleasure of reading the essay at the beginning of the script of The Crucible written by the author of the play, Arthur Miller, there's like one line in that that always stuck out in my mind where he's contextualizing what it was like for the Puritans in Salem. And he says... The American continent stretched endlessly west. So this is before the discovery of the frontier and so on. It's like, we've got our little religious community here. And like, on the edge of things there is complete fucking chaos and demons and wolves and woods. Don't go in there, motherfucker. Stay here and be pure and love God and have a family and make, uh, eat some bread. But you don't have to take my word for it. What did Sondheim say? Sondheim, quote, Ah, the woods, the all-purpose symbol of the unconscious, the womb, the past, the dark place where we face our trials and emerge wiser or destroyed. Oh, that expands on that even more. It's the abyss. It's death. The woods are death. The abyss. Don't stare into it because it stares back. Friedrich Nietzsche. In the first act, all of the characters, uh, the heroes of our, all of the stories, in order to reach their happy endings, have small dishonesties, which we glaze over because we want them to win. And then in the second act, the chickens come home to roost. All of the stealing and the lying must be answered for. Carl Jung has a whole, you know, he's 
He's got the whole fairy tale thing. Jung. He's uh, he says that fairy tales are, you know, he's a, their indication of the collective unconscious. And unfortunately, like the spokesperson for Jungian stuff now is this Jordan Peterson motherfucker. And you know, ugh, you know, whatever. Jordan, I, I think that uh, Ella and Frozen is uh, represents uh, female uh, hysteria. Um, fuck Jordan Peterson. Like he is invalidated himself by being a fucking troll and a weirdo. Like if you felt like you appreciated some of his pre-controversy psychology lectures, that's fine. But please be quiet about it. Can we stop? giving Jordan Peterson attention. The man is out of his mind. And he sucks. Um, check this out. Sondheim and Lapine. Did we talk? Oh, by the way, Lapine wrote the book to Into the Woods. Uh, his collaborator from Sunday in the Park with George. Um, and they sort of became uh, work wedded. What? He was his creativity husband. I don't know if any of that means anything but um so Sondheim and Lapine uh, as they were writing this they talked to a Jungian psychiatrist about fairy tales so there you go what I love about Into the Woods the second act of Into the Woods specifically is that um it indulges in unspeakable tragedy right it's fucking unbelievable that you would kill the baker's wife first uh, first of all and, and the lead up to that, we're killing Jack's mother, we're killing Rapunzel, all women, apparently, uh, but uh, they're being killed by a woman, so does that make it okay? Um, so there's this tragedy that's practically fucking unbelievable, and then it's like the show, at the very end, like begrudgingly offers you a small little happy ending with its four survivors, creating a fictive kinship. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Harris in uh, readings on the English language. Learned about fictive kinship this semester as well. Um, don't ever say uh, Cal State LA didn't teach you anything, Chris, because uh, this is applied knowledge, baby. This is all in the learning outcomes. Using it on a podcast. So, uh, everything's falling apart. And one thing that Sondheim frequently says about Into the Woods is that it's about community responsibility. I mean, there are two themes. It's about fathers and mothers and their children, and it's about community responsibility. And it's kind of um, the tension between those two things in some places, right? Like the, the baker asks like, why can't we just pursue our lives with our children and our wives till that happier day arrives? And um, it's that thing of, um, I just want to, uh, I just want to, you know, have my family here and not worry about this stuff. But if you don't worry about this stuff, this stuff is going to come to you. The, uh, the, the whole world at your fingertips, the ocean at your door, to quote, to quote the great uh, Bo Burnham inside. So, um, I think that that's what makes this possibly Sondheim's most political show. It's in a lot of ways it's more political than Assassins, which we're going to talk about in the final episode. And there's a lot of you can project whatever you want onto the meanings of this. I mean, there's we've been through COVID, and I mean we were so like everybody that fell apart. Everyone that talks about COVID 
in 2020 about how, uh, oh, this thing that we all went through. And it was. But I think that's an indication of the fact that you were so comfortable <laughs> before COVID. Like you were so insulated in your house with your people and your routine and your, you, and saying, I don't really follow politics. I don't really like to follow politics. And then COVID said, oh, you don't like to follow politics? Hey, politics is going to follow you right into your fucking house and tell you to stay there for a year. That's what, that's kind of what has happened with this giant, man. This giant is like, hey, you think you're, you, you think you get a happy ending? Fuck you. I'm going to trample your whole goddamn town. You're going to have to deal with me. And you can either run away like the, like Cinderella's family does and like the baker almost does. Or you can sit here and you can, you can stay here and deal with it. That's tiresome, comparing the giant into the woods to COVID-19. But I did it, and uh, I'm going to go even further with that. So uh, the witch is really interesting, of course. And we have, of course, the, the great Bernadette Peters playing the witch, and it's almost like, you know, she pops up in two of these original cast of Sondheim shows as Dot and as the Witch. In both cases, you cannot fathom the idea of anybody else doing it. And if anyone else does do it, you say, like, they did a good job. But you know in the back of your heart that they're not Bernadette Peters and that um, all they are is a human being playing a role on a stage. Bernadette Peters is the Witch. She is Dot. She's larger than life. There's something that is just undescribable about her and so why am I sitting here trying to describe it I I, I the witch also the mom stuff that the witch does like the witch is to the witch her role in the show to me anyway is twofold her relationship with Rapunzel is that's Mama Rose fully revealed for all of its toxicity and reality setting into it and it's not exclusive to women there are male Mama Roses and when I was a kid, you know, the Stay With Me song and that whole, especially the, that made me think like, oh, this is a very serious thing. And I, I should be very sad for the witch. This, you embarrass me. Uh, I, you, I, I embarrass you. You are ashamed of me. You are ashamed. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, this is very sad for the witch. Um, didn't think too much about Rapunzel's experience of that, to be honest. And that may have something to do with the way that I was raised. Uh, I was just trying to be a good mother. It's kind of a laugh line because it's Rapunzel says, you did all these horrible things. You banished me to a desert and you fucking blinded my husband and I bore twins. <sighs> I was just trying to be a good mother. The witch's experience of being Rapunzel's mother is far more important to the witch than Rapunzel's experience of having her as a mother. Let's just say that's resonant to me on a certain level. The witch is also the truth teller of the show. Her other function. She's the comedian, the truth teller. She's not good. She's not nice. She's just right. She's the witch. She's always saying the, th I mean, she's saying the brutal truth all the way through. She's, um, she's the reflection of, uh, the horrible truth. <laughs> 
You got a lever. But uh, let's not, you know, put all of our blame on the mothers. Let's talk about fathers. This is also about fathers running away. And again, you know, just like Mama Rose is not exclusive to women, a father running away is not exclusive to men. It's about people running away. And, you know, on the macro level, it's like the running away from the truths of the situation and saying, I don't like politics. Can't we just pursue our lives with our children or our wives? And it gets back to um, the quote from Network, the film Network, which is very prophetic. Oh, everyone likes to use that word when they talk about Network. And yeah, that's the right word to use. It's just, you know, <laughs> everybody uses that word. So let me use it. Network, the film Network, if you haven't seen it, is very prophetic. Howard Beale says in Network, we sit in our houses and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and steel-belted radials and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad! Yeah. And uh, he doesn't want us to write to our congressman because he wouldn't know what to tell us to write. We can't look to our leaders. We're unmoored from any structure here. As the witch says, the royal family, I wouldn't count on them to snuff out a rat. Even when there's a giant in the land, buddy. You can't, the royal, the royal family, they're not going to do anything. There's nothing they can do. Here's the thing, man. They even kill the fucking narrator. And that, they're completely unmoored from any logic or structure or sense of safety. Which is how all of us comfortable white people felt during COVID. Can we be honest? We were like, someone needs to tell us what's, what to do. Uh, an N95 mask? Okay. Uh, wait, that doesn't work? No, it does? Okay, well, the CDC knows. Let's listen to the CDC. Trump's a liar. Don't listen to Trump. Hang on. Oh, Biden's the president. The CDC is lying. Who's, uh, who do we listen to? Who has the answer? Tell me what to do. Well, we can't tell you what to do. But you know why? You, you you killed the narrator. And the royal family can't do shit because half of them had, had ran for the hills doing 90 and the prince is off getting his dick wet in the woods. There is no grown-up around that can solve this giant situation. It's going to be you, <laughs> Baker, Cinderella, little red jack so there you go folks and the songs there are songs about loss of innocence it is not nice to know a lot um well it is but a little bit not i know things now i mean it's right there in the title and on first glance it's like um i know things now and giants in the sky are very similar it seems like, okay, these are two songs kind of saying the same thing. They're telling two different stories, which we all have known since we were children. But um, I think it, maybe it's kind of gendered, the difference. Because I feel like I Know Things Now is about somebody that has been taken advantage of and now knows what safeguards to put in place to not be taken advantage of. And Giants in the Sky is maybe about somebody going out and sowing their wild oats and um, being uh, f sort of uh, like free and having conquests sexually, maybe with some drugs and there's a giant breast involved. And, uh, but, and, but then uh, it, it, it breaks bad and you got to run back to uh, safety and security and the roof, the house and your mother. 
So there's sort of maybe some 1987 gender differences between those two songs, but they are more or less saying the same thing. And um, what's interesting to me, which I didn't really realize until Sondheim explained it to me in my uh, reread here of Look, I Made a Hat, is the fact that those two songs, these lesson songs, and also Cinderella's, The Steps of the Palace, they culminate in Moments in the Woods, the baker's wife's song, which when I watched it on my birthday made me cry, and I'm not saying that I'm such a sensitive guy for crying, I'm just giving you information. So um, all of these lesson songs are about how these people have been changed by their journey into the woods and have these adventures and are changed people, whereas the baker's wife goes right up to the edge of that and then pulls back and says she actually likes her life the way that it is. Um, she's had an and, and she's back to or. But it makes the or mean more than it did before. But she's accepted the or. And that song, Moments in the Woods, is so fucking articulate and smart and beautiful and i think it's the wanting more it's also the com the 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 um what is the word that i just used jesus christ the um <laughs> the culmination of um the idea of wanting more of uh married and bored single and lonely about the, the you know we got the prince both princes who obviously they want more they are chasing these women and they're very invested until the time that they get them. And then they need to chase another woman. Tale as old as time. That's how that goes. Then Cinderella, she admits when she finds out that the prince has been fucking other people and trying to have sex with a... Was a Snow White or Sleeping Beauty for him? He's Sleeping Beauty. Uh, she says, I have on occasion wanted more. She, however, makes the sacrifice... To not pursue that, which I think um, most of us who are living um, in our lives uh, with monogamous relationships, you know, that's uh, maybe something that we, an acknowledgement that we make that um, to be monogamous with this person is uh, a sacrifice that they are making, we are making, <laughs> in the service of love. That we could just be completely selfish and follow every... Um, impulse towards things that make us feel good or we could can acknowledge that um it's the golden rule look if you're ethically non-monogamous and i know that that's a thing now more power to you that's terrific i i hope that works out great for you and i've seen i'm sure it does for some people i i'm not uh i don't want to be small-minded about this I can't imagine it uh, doing it because of the golden rule. I think that if I was with somebody that I had strong emotional feelings for and they went off and had sex with somebody else, it would make me very sad. And thereby, I don't think it would be right to have sex with someone else when I'm with somebody. So there you go. I'm, I'm in the Cinderella camp. Now the baker's wife does sleep with somebody else. I'm assuming they have sex or they don't just roll around and kiss each other, right? Um... How alive you've made me feel. That's um, 
She's got the mo that's a culmination of uh, the wanting more things. She's got this introspective song, Moments in the Woods, where she examines what she's just done, what she needs to do. And it's not that it's, it's the woods. It's she just, she needs to get back to life, back to child, back to something else, back to husband. You can't live in the woods. These princes will, they would if they could. You can't live in the woods. That was just a moment. Let's go back to responsibility. But guess what? When she says it's time to leave the woods, the, the woods says bullshit. And the woods fucking kills her. And she never leaves the woods. Pretty bleak. Can we agree on that? There's a heavy theme of grieving, of loss. Um, no One Is Alone is a gorgeous song that often gets criticized for ripping off the Candyman can from Willy Wonka. Which, come on, man. You really think that that was on purpose? Nobody does. I'm arguing with a ghost right now. But um, it just happens to be similar. Who can take a sunrise? Sprinkle it with dew. Mother, can I guide you? Now you're on your own. Um, I, I've heard that No One Is Alone has been sung at funerals in the past for people, which, uh, I think is really nice. Here's the thing, though. And this is maybe my gripe with, uh, aspects of the Into the Woods lessons and interpretations. And it could just be because I tend to be a Gandhi pacifist. I don't think that they needed to kill the lady giant. And I'm not just saying that because, um, you know, I want everything to be nice. Because I don't, obviously. But I feel that I, 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 I'm questioning the morality, the trolley story, the trolley dilemma, or whatever the fuck, that people use to say that you shouldn't be uh, anti-war. Like, the logic of that. So if, if it's harm reduction... I think that probably the biggest way to reduce harm is to feed Jack to the giant. <laughs> she says that she'll go away. And she seems like, to be honest, the lady giant seems to be in good faith. She's actually like nice. And when she thinks that they've given her Jack, she says, Oh, thank you so much. All is well. I will leave your village now. So there you get like, um... But what they do is they protect Jack and they kill the Lady Giant. And this is right after they say that witches can be right. Giants can be good. You decide what's right. You decide what's good. And I think it kind of perpetuates an us and them thing. Which I don't love. Uh, it's not an ideology that I love. To say that we needed to kill the giant to save the village and save ourselves... Um, I don't think they, I don't, I don't think so. Nope. No good. <laughs> um, the moral choice there would have been to hand Jack over to the giant. Sorry. If you want to save the most lives. Or do nothing. Like, I, that's, I, I think that, uh, hunker down and wait for the giant. That's the, the that's how I feel about, per personally, and I don't expect everyone to feel this way. I'm... Uh, an anti-war pacifist, I believe that there's no such thing as a good war or a just war. 
And I think that, uh, you know, the logic, for instance, like of the Second Amendment, that, uh, okay, it's not about hunting, it's about rising up against a tyrannical government. You need to have guns to do that. If a tyrannical government came to my door and wanted to pull me out into the streets, uh, the, the brown shirts wanted to line me up, um, I would just say, um, yeah, shoot me in the head. Because I don't want to kill anyone. I would rather be killed by the tyrannical government than go through the rest of my life having been someone who killed. So, whatever. It's just a personal choice. I don't judge uh, the baker or Jack or Cinderella or Little Red Riding Hood because uh, they're not real. And that would be silly. What is the giant? What does the giant represent? Now, there's no one answer on this. That would be silly. It's a cipher that you could project whatever you want onto it. Now, let's look at what Sondheim said in Look, I Made a Hat. Let's uh, get it from the horse's mouth here. Sondheim. Because fairy tales, folk tales, fables, myths, whatever you want to call them, are considered parables, many people have asked what the giant in Into the Woods represents. The predominant assumption is that the giant represents AIDS. After all, the show was written in the 80s when AIDS was at its most prominent. Given a moment's thought, it becomes apparent that if the giant represented anything, it wouldn't be AIDS. The giant is not a natural phenomenon, but a force roused to vengeance by greed, provocation, and irresponsibility. It could just as easily be the atomic bomb, global warming, or the economic meltdown that is occurring as I write this. To James and me, it is a giant. Enough said. Unquote. That's what makes the story timeless, right? Because it's not tethered to something like AIDS, which would make it an artifact from the 80s. And you'd uh, watch it and people would say, this is an allegory for AIDS, which was, um, you know, which was uh, at its most uh, prominent at the time. It reminds me of uh, the song Hard Rain by Bob Dylan in an interview at the time when he had, uh, he had just come out with it, where some interviewer said, now I understand that hard rain is a uh, reference to a, a, a nuclear atomic rain. And Bob's like, no, man, it's not. Oh, someone else said that to me. No, nah, man, it's not about atomic rain, man. It's just about hard rain. <laughs> Same kind of deal. It's just a giant. It's just hard rain. Also, with uh, I've heard a bunch of, I've heard several people try to say that the, the line in Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues, where he says, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. They say, oh, that's a reference to the Weathermen, which were a, 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 a hippie group that uh, committed violence and the blah, 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 blah. No, it isn't. <laughs> it very clearly isn't. It's just you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. It's larger than the specific reference that you think it is. And if these things were specific to tethered to specific, tethered to specific references, then they would lose their power. And then we wouldn't be uh, producing Into the Woods in 2023. But just for fun, I'm going to project a uh, specific reference to the giant. I'm going to give you a, a giant metaphor here. And uh, I can't be the first one that's thought of this. First of all, let's remember that there are two giants. There's a giant in the first act, and then the giant's wife coming back for revenge in the second act because Jack killed her husband. And she wreaks havoc on the town. So let's just say for a minute 
that that first giant is Al-Qaeda and that second giant is ISIS. I'll give you a minute to think that over. Obvious unintended consequences for our foreign policy adventures, which is why we should just give her the boy. No. No. <laughs> it's a shame that the giant's wife dies at the end because it's just another stop on the merry-go-round of via vengeance. It's, um, you know, just sacrificing Jack to the giant would be like the, the Soleimani situation, right? We all thought we were going to go to war, but then it was like, all right, you can kill one of our guys and then we'll all calm down. So yeah, we killed the giant. Great. And now everybody's safe. But, um, you know, there's just another giant coming that's going to want vengeance for killing both of those first two giants. What we could do is stop going up the fucking beanstalk! That's one way to go. Stop making us, uh, vulnerable to, uh, anyway. This is, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's all these proverbs in Into the Woods um, that uh, serve as themes that uh, sadly missing from the movie, but for obvious reasons, because it's a film. The On the first midnight, the one midnight gone, everybody comes on and says a little proverb about what they've learned. And then later on, they add nuance to those proverbs. Like uh, Jack's mother, slotted spoons don't hold much soup. Okay, we all know what that means. But then later, she comes out again and she says, The slotted spoon can catch the potato. Now, I don't really know what that means, but I like it. I like it. Here's a brief... Um, I know we're over an hour already, but here's a brief um, sort of summary of how they decided to write Into the Woods. So after Sunday in the park with George, they're like, uh, Sondheim and Lapine are like, we definitely have to keep writing together. We are work wedded. Can I get a better term for that? I know it's like work husband, work wife. What do you say? What do you say it? Oh, God, who cares? So Sondheim has an idea that he wants to write a quest musical, a la The Wizard of Oz, which, as we mentioned on a previous episode, is like the only movie musical that uh, Sondheim likes as a child. And so they want to write an original fairy tale and they quickly figure out they can't because fairy tales are short and uh, they have a quick uh, plot uh, change, uh, you know, they, they can't do it for whatever reason. Then, this is news to me, by the way, this is sounds insane. Um, <laughs> so James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim come up with an idea for a TV special which uh, involves, you got famous sitcom characters of the time uh, all get in a car accident and that brings famous TV cops on the scene uh, you, and then those cops take them to a hospital where they are treated by famous TV doctors. This was their big idea, their big pitch and they brought it to Norman Lear who did all the television in the 80s and the 70s and whatever. Uh, Norman, Lee, Norman Lear loves the idea. 
And he's like, all right, I'm going to wait for you guys to write a script. And they said, oh, we don't want to write a script. We kind of just wanted to sell you this idea. <laughs> they wanted to make a couple bucks while they're sitting around waiting for a musical, uh, an idea for a musical to write. And so they had this, they cooked up a harebrained scheme to pitch to Norman Lear, but they didn't want to write the script. And he said, well, if you don't want to write the script, fuck off. So they fucked off. But then a little while later, they're like, hey, why don't we try that idea? But like with the grim fairy tales, that'd be fun. We'll have them all intersect and uh, meet each other. And so they invent the story of the baker and his wife and the thing and the witch, like I said, and they have all these uh, fairy tales intersect. Now, on the a funny thing happened on the way to the forum episode. We talked a lot about farce and Sondheim's whole idea about the problem of making a musical that is a farce because farces uh, are heavily plotted and they need to they can't you can't really stop in the middle to sing a song that doesn't move the story forward because um, because yeah there's a it's important to keep the motor running on a farce so I rem I was thinking that because I was and and as I was revisiting this one a little bit I was thinking why is that not a problem in this, the way that it is in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum? Where it's like, ugh, we have to stop and sing Pretty Little Picture and it's fucking, tell, I want to know what happens next. Or Everybody Ought to Have a Maid. Both great songs. They're, I mean, they're both fine songs. But why are we stopping the story to sing these songs? I don't feel this way in Into the Woods and I wondered why. But guess what? Sondheim explained it to me. And look, I made a hat this week. He said, there's a difference. He makes a distinction. There are songs that slow down the action to savor a moment, which you shouldn't do in a farce, and then there are songs that stop the action completely to punctuate it, to end the story. So that's why when Little Red Riding Hood sings I Know Things Now, it does not feel like a speed bump because we have just finished the story of Little Red Riding Hood, we've cut the wolf open, we've dragged her out of the wolf, and it's a punctuation at the end of the story, which is very smart. I like it. The original cast that they pulled together for Into the Woods is uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, we talked about Bernadette Peters already as the witch. So, so good. I don't understand why they didn't cast her in the movie. It's a lot of bullshit. She's two years older than Meryl Streep. Can we get Bernadette Peters to play the witch in the past? Can we go back in time, please? Thank you. Joanna Gleason is, uh, you know, so she's warm, she's funny, strong. She's the true hero of the story. I don't know a lot about stuff that Joanna Gleason did outside of Into the Woods, except for her performance in Boogie Nights, which is so disturbing to me. Is <laughs> Mark Wahlberg's mother? Um, very disturbing. Joanna Gleason in Boogie Nights, and uh, pretty impressive how much it departs from her performance in. Into the woods and the warmth of this woman. Robert Westenberg as Cinderella's prince and the wolf is so fucking funny. Jesus Christ. Worrying will do you no good. The way he delivers that line. I love also, uh, just like our friends Anne Eggerman and Henrik Eggerman from Little Night Music, the original cast, how they fall in love, uh, fell in love and got married. Robert Westenberg and Kim Crosby, who played Cinderella, married to this day. I think they are. Or at least they stayed married for a while. We got Tom Aldridge playing the narrator and the mysterious man. This guy, uh, I think he died. Well, not 
that recently, but uh, he's uh, one of those dudes that was old forever, like an Angela Lansbury. You know him from The Sopranos, Carmela Soprano's father. And then he pops up in all kinds of movies in the 90s. What about Bob? He's in that boat. <laughs> Here's a question that I know I'm not the first person to ask. Why the fuck is Cinderella's father a character in this? Like, I know that, you know, uh, in versions of Cinderella go back and forth from both of her parents are dead to just her mother is dead and her father is just this cuck that's sitting around and doesn't give a shit. While the stepmother abuses her. In this version, like, this guy doesn't play any other role. It's Edmund Lindek. Okay, first of all. Uh, old Judge Turpin. And he, he says, like, two things. Good night, father. Huh? Uh, good night. The carriage is waiting. Why is he there? I have no... Um, Facts to back this up, but I, I, I want to believe that <laughs> Edmund Lindek was down on his luck and, and he said, Hey, Steve, can you put me in your new show? I got nothing and I'm on a fixed income here. And uh, Steve created the role, Stephen Sondheim, sorry, I promised to never call him Steve, uh, created the role of Cinderella's father and said, Yeah, just have him follow around, you know, the stepmother and just grunt a few times. Let's go through some of the songs. My favorite song in Into the Woods is Your Fault. Has been ever since I was a child. It's uh, a very uh, difficult song to sing for four, five, actually, five people. It's a quintet. It moves very fast. They slowed it down for the movie. And um, there's the Bean theme. <laughs> that, uh, I, I, I don't think he called it that, but people... I heard someone on, on Santa... Uh, Someone on TikTok call it the bean theme. The da 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 da. That thing is all over the place. Um, you know, when he puts the beans in the hand, plink, 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 and then shoom in the pocket. Uh, and it's uh, it's in the accompaniment of many of the songs, like right after the da 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 da. And of course, Rapunzel is singing. It happens all the time in the show. The bean theme. It doesn't ever get repetitive somehow. Not to me anyway. You know what is thrilling, engaging, perfect? The 10-minute opening number of Into the Woods. Leonard Bernstein would have called this a Sina. A Sena. I don't know how you pronounce that. S-C-E-N-A. Which is a short musical play that combines both song and speech. One of my favorite things ever, actually. A Sena. Sina. Sina. Sena. Lin-Manuel Miranda's 21 Chump Street, the musicalized version of a This American Life Story, is a great example of a Cena, as is many of the sequences in Hamilton, and uh, as is much of Sondheim's career. I, uh, I really enjoy those. I tend to enjoy those more than, you know, oh, let's all stop and sing a song about our feelings, but just rather just a, a little story that's talk a little, sing a little. Talk a little, sing a little, talk a little, sing a little. There are these little extra sections of songs in the original cast recording that you don't get in um, the show. And I, I, I guess they're cut for length, but uh, in uh, He's a Very Nice Prince, there's this whole part in the middle. Where, well, how can you know what you want till you get what you want and you see if you like it? That's not on stage ever. 
You don't hear that. It's, it's just on the album. And in the middle of any moment, oh my God, uh, the prince sings, the days are made of moments, so worth exploring. And then he says, uh, oh, we have our moments, memories for storing. One would be so boring, which is like, ooh, who said that? The prince did. Who else said that earlier in the show? The wolf. Same actor played both. Oh, this prince in this context is functioning as a predator wolf thing. It's a little clue there to the, uh, you know, it's not just economy of cast, these double roles of the Cinderella's Prince and the Wolf. It's because they're doing the same thing in the woods. The second midnight, uh, there was, uh, that was, that used to be the full version of Children Will Listen, which I realized, um, yeah, you never hear that in the show because it was cut. But if you are like, if you like buy the sheet music to Children Will Listen, or if you listen to the fucking... Barbara Streisand version. There is a ver there's like a verse like how do you say to a child in a, in the night nothing's all black and then nothing's all white. That was cut. That was part of the second midnight and uh, a little preachy, unnecessary maybe. And you know we got a long fucking first act already. And so that was sort of intended as the moral center of the show, but then no one is alone became the moral center of the show. Because, as we talked about, the two sort of competing themes of the show are community responsibility, no one is alone, and children will listen, parents and children. As a child, I often skipped the female songs because I couldn't sing them, but On the Steps of the Palace is a brilliant song. Sondheim solves the problem of why Cinderella runs when she's in this horrible situation at home by making it a very uh, layered human reaction. It's a choice between uh, when you're safe out of sight and yourself and everything's wrong or where everything's right and you know that you'll never belong. Cinderella's decision, however, to leave a shoe behind, you know, rather than the whole idea of like, whoops, you know, she could have pried up her shoes, but she left one behind and uh, I'm going to make him choose. We'll see what he'll do. That is just evidence of the fact that women are impossible and I wish that I was gay. I'm sorry. Uh, what, really? Make, you're going to make him choose? You're going to go to the fucking festival three times and then you're going to run three times. And then, mm, let's see what he'll do. God fucking damn it. Song Agony is hilarious. Um... I remember th thinking as a ch uh, kid, like, uh, I, I didn't understand why the adults were laughing at that song when I was a child. <sighs> I already talked about moments in the woods and everything. Great, 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 great. The Last Midnight, uh, I've grown to love even more lately. It's a, a banger, of course, and Bernadette Peters' performance of it is great. I think the way that it is paired with Your Fault, and it ended up on my Sondheim on Adderall playlist. If you haven't given that a listen, go ahead and check that out. Luckily, uh, there's one track for both of those on the OCR. I like how they have Your Fault, and uh, they're blaming each other, blaming each other, blaming each other. Shh. Here comes the apocalypse, and who cares whose fault it is? Because we're all going to die. The original song... That was called Boom Crunch. And um, the reason that he replaced it with The Last Midnight was because he felt that it was spending too much time recapping what had happened rather than getting to the point of the song, which whittled down to one line in that song, which I love. I've never heard it, but I 
Reddit. And the line is, want to know what's evil? Nice people's lies. Political. Um, and, uh, yeah. The banality of evil. The good German. That's what's more scary than a fucking wolf. It's the lobbyists in Washington. They're what we should really be afraid of. It's the evil men that really run the show, not these, this political theater, these uh, boogeymen on the outside. Trump is very bad. I don't like Trump. Will you leave me alone? I'm not saying that Trump is great. I'm saying, yes, he's bad, but what we should really be afraid of is the, the system that created him and supported him and continues to support him. Shut up. This is about Into the Woods. There's a movie of Into the Woods, folks. I watched it in three parts over the last few nights, and I gotta say, I like it. I already said that. I'm saying it again. Give me a break. It's the best Sondheim movie adaptation. I'm gonna tell you something. There was um, <laughs> an attempt to make a movie of Into the Woods in the 90s with the Jim Henson studio. Woo! And... Um, in Look, I Made a Hat, Sondheim gives us the cast for both read. They did two table readings, and the cast is going to knock your socks off. I I didn't... I, I, I want to read it directly from the book. Let me go grab the book. Give me one second. Hi, I'm back. So, the year is 1995. Jim Henson Studio, along with Columbia Pictures, they're going to do a table reading. Now, it never comes to fruition, obviously, or else there would be a 90s uh, movie of Into the Woods, which there isn't. The first reading of the movie script had, among others, Martin Short as the baker. Okay. I don't know about that. I don't love that, to be honest with you. Julia Louis-Dreyfus as the baker's wife. Slam dunk, baby. Man, oh man. Great idea. Neil Patrick Harris as Jack. Okay. I'm fine with that. That's okay. I had a come-to-Jesus moment on Neil Patrick Harris because I uh, I feel like he's pretty good in the company. Although I feel like I want to not like him because he's so uh, handsome and my I don't like that he's the spokesperson for Broadway musicals because I like uh, ugly, ugly people uh, to do musicals and not uh, handsome ones. Mary Steenburgen as Jack's mother. Hmm, seems a little young, but okay. She's usually good. Uh, Kathy Najimy as Florinda and Janine Garofalo as Lucinda. Okay, that's weird. Um, maybe K Kathy Najimy. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. You know who that is, right? From Sister Act. The, uh, the rotund one in Sister Act. Also does the voice of Peggy, H Peggy Hill. Um... And, uh, but yeah, Janine Garofalo, that's, that's weird. That's a weird cast. They're just like, who's funny? These, uh, that one. Uh, let's not do that. Cynthia Gibb as Cinderella. I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. Don't know who the fuck that is. Rob Lowe, Cinderella's Prince. Yeah, at the time. Handsome. Uh, committing statutory rape, but I guess we all forgot about that and we all like him now. Uh, Christine Lottie as the witch. Oh, only thing I know about Christine Lottie is that she was in the bathroom when she won a Golden Globe Award and they had to pull her out of the bathroom. Uh, other than that, I don't know one thing about her. Daryl Hannah as Rapunzel. Interesting. Okay. Michael Jeter as the giant. What? What's going on? Why is there a giant, uh, played by Michael Jeter? Is he playing the giant's wife? He has a high-pitched voice. He's, uh, he's no longer with us, Michael Jeter, unfortunately. Loved Michael Jeter, especially in The Fisher King. Speaking of The Fisher King, let's talk about the second reading because we got a star-studded, even more star-studded, 
the star of the Fisher King, Robin Williams. Rest in peace. He was going to play the baker. I would see that. I like that better than Martin Short, but I still am not really on board. You know what? I, I'm on board. I lied. I, I, I was worried that he was going to be too muggy and too goofy in the first act, but I feel like the sad Robin Williams is so intense that Robin Williams singing No More uh, seems like that would be a great time. Not a great time, but it would be effective. Goldie Hawn as the baker's wife. I don't know, man. Maybe. Isn't she a little too glamorous? Shouldn't we get Julia Louis-Dreyfus to do the second reading, please? Try it again. Cher as the witch. Okay. It's the last midnight. I thought that I was reading this wrong, but bear with me on this because this is a fucking curveball. As Florinda and Lucinda, the stepsisters, Carrie Fisher and B.B. Newworth. Uh, why, why, why? That's, first of all, that's, they're, 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 are, are they just your friends and they're around and like, hey, come do the table reading. We only got a couple parts left over. I, that, they would never have made it to the screen, certainly, because that's, they're wrong for those roles, is my point. And it's a waste of their time. They're both uh, big stars and they're tiny, tiny parts. Moira Kelly as Cinderella, fine. Kyle MacLachlan as Cinderella's prince and Brendan Fraser as Rapunzel's prince. That's fine. Maybe flip that. Could we flip that? Elijah Wood is Jack. Fair enough. 1995. I guess he's still an actual child then. We can deal with that. But here we go. Strap it down. Get ready for this next one. Roseanne Barr as Jack's mother. I don't think so, man. Yeah, maybe. Roseanne Barr uh, has a head injury that has made her, uh, makes her crazy and so, at times racist. Um... So, uh, yeah, Roseanne Barr is Jack's mother. Well, she showed up to the table reading. I wonder if she, uh, started any shit. Danny DeVito is the giant. Okay. Uh, what, what are you, what, what, what are we talking about? Why? I don't understand this giant business. Did they rewrite the screenplay so that the giant has a lot of scenes? And then Steve Martin is the wolf. Really? Haven't we been down this road before with the dentist? And Maxwell Silverhammer in that terrible Sgt. Pepper movie. Can we leave Steve Martin alone and stop calling it? Hey, we need somebody funny. We can play the the wolf. Anyway, I would have seen those <laughs> casts, either of them. Uh, sounds fun. But the movie they did make in 2014 has a mostly good cast. Now, when this movie was coming out. I had my doubts, of course, because I'm a contrarian asshole. And it's similar to, it's the Harry Potter paradox for me. I have never read a single Harry Potter book, and I've never seen a single Harry Potter movie. And um, I don't have any immediate plans to do either of these things. But since the books came out a little after my time. I was maybe a teenager when these books were sweeping the nation. But I worked with kids at a summer camp, and I... When I heard they were making movies, Harry Potter movies, I thought this was a terrible idea. I thought, the, the kids are reading and enjoying reading, 
and this is a good thing, and now you're going to fuck that up with the movies? Now, I don't always know what I'm talking about, and this is an example of that. The movies didn't really fuck that up. It turns out kids are capable of enjoying books and enjoying movies. And that's what happened. I don't think there was any um, decline in the reading of Harry Potter books as a result of the movie coming out. And I felt that way a little bit about this, where I was like, I, I feel like Into the Woods does something for theater and brings children to the theater in a way that is so valuable. Why would we want to make a movie of it to shit on that? And uh, I don't think that's what happened. But crucially, the changes that they make for the 2014 film of Into the Woods are changes to accommodate today's children. And I'm ambivalent about that. I mean, the deaths in the second act, like, where are they, really? You gotta kill the baker's wife. You gotta kill Jack's mother. But we kind of just release Rapunzel and her prince into the wild. We don't see her die. And I think it's condescending. I think children can handle it. And you know how I know that? I was a child. And I loved it. <laughs> I saw it in the theaters in 2014 with my um, stepson. Um, my, I call him my stepson. I, I dated a woman for eight years who had a kid. He is now 17. When this movie came out, he was eight. And uh, I enthusiastically took him to see it. He really liked it. And so I was seeing it through the eyes of a child, a child I was very invested in. And um, so I was. I, most of the changes I was okay with. Some of them broke my heart. It's directed by Rob Marshall. I think he's America's best movie musical director. I've repeatedly sung the praises of the film Chicago. Not my favorite musical ever, but a really good movie musical adaptation. There are some things that are lost when you make this into a movie, which is, uh, and, and one of them to me is the fact that, I don't like the fact that we got actual woods. It's just not as cool to me. When you go into, when you see these characters go into these woods, you lose some of the metaphorical weight of the woods. You just, you're kind of just watching somebody go on a hike. That's lost. The, I love seeing the birds get those lentils out of the fucking fireplace. That's very satisfying. <laughs> I don't know why. I love how when the beans hit the ground, there's a little magical light and smoke thing that happens. All of the effects in this are very cool. There's a thing in movie musicals where people sing, where it's obvious that their singing has been manipulated. And I don't think it's just auto-tuning or fine-tuning. I don't know what it is. But you learn to hear it. I begrudgingly admit that Meryl Streep is good in this. I uh, am not a big fan of Meryl Streep. I, and, and I don't... I just don't get it. Um, I, I know a lot of people uh, say that she's the best actor alive or the best actor who ever lived. Uh, and I I just, I, I don't see it. I just, I, I've seen her be good and uh, so on. But um, I think she's overrated. Uh, and I could be very wrong about this. She's great in this though. She's very good as the witch and I was fully prepared to not like her as the witch. I was mad because, you know, uh, you know, as of today, Bernadette Peters is 75 years old and Meryl Streep is 73 years old. We could have given Bernadette Peters that part. Maybe she didn't want it. I don't know the politics involved. Uh, I don't know if it was like a Julie Andrews and My Fair Lady situation. But uh, Meryl Streep did a good job. However, you know, th th her singing is clearly manipulated. 
The best example of the manip manipulated singing, I would say, uh, is uh, Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge, which uh, the day the music died. Uh, Moulin Rouge, worst uh, movie musical, uh, well, no, La La Land, uh, certainly the second worst, uh, worst at the time. It doesn't. It, you, you, suspiciously, we don't ever see you and McGregor sing these songs live because um, I don't think it would sound anything like uh, it does in the movie. They cut some songs, uh, and some of them made more sense to me than others. The biggest loss for me, of course, is the cutting of No More because of how important and beautiful and tragic that song is. But I kind of understand because, again, I think that it's a adaptation that's more geared towards children than the play is. The play is also for children, but it's for both, but this, yeah, whatever. Um, I do not understand why they would cut Goodbye Old Pal, and especially why they would cut Maybe Their Magic. Dude, that Maybe Their Magic is fucking great. And Emily Blunt is fucking great. Why would you not have Emily Blunt sing that song? Emily Blunt as the Baker's Wife. Very good. Not as good as Joanna Newsom, but very good. Uh, it justifies the beans. We didn't have any of that. We didn't do the agony reprise, which is, come on, man. Okay, the way that they filmed the first agony, the the, the song Agony, is delightful with those dudes up on those the waterfall and so, so good. But the agony reprise, I think it's the funniest Sondheim has ever been. And I don't think Sondheim is normally like laugh out loud funny. He's clever and droll, a little priest. It's, aha, uh, uh, oh, I see what you did there. Very funny. Agony reprise, especially the part with the dwarfs are very upsetting and dwarfs, dwarfs, dwarfs. Uh, it's laugh out loud funny. Maybe it was uh, offensive, so they cut it out. I find it disturbing. I found it disturbing watching them actually feed the items to a cow that looked like a real cow. Seemed like animal cruelty to me. Rather than having it be a big fucking paper mache cow like it normally is on stage. The la uh, Meryl Streep's Last Midnight, the effects on that of her uh, spinning and spinning in the wind and the wind and the disappearing. Like that was very cool. I will say that Bernadette Peters has the same effect just with talent and voice. But I think that that was a good movie version of that. It is funny that, like, little things they took out, like uh, Rapunzel doesn't bear twins, and, <laughs> you know, like, like I said, the deaths are kind of softened. I don't think that Jack and Little Red Riding Hood should be actual children. I find that creepy. I find those children annoying. I'm sorry. Um, and I, uh, I'm a guy that uh, has a good rapport with children. <laughs> I work, uh, worked with children, specifically theater children, my whole life. But that little boy, and oh, god damn, you may remember him from Gavroche in the endless movie version of Les Miserables. Um, god damn, just with the- Oh, come on, mate! Come on, mum! Little people, no! Shut the fuck up. But I, what makes it weird is that, the, yeah, like there, there are kind of obvious sexual undertones to the wolf and Little Red Riding Hood thing. And we got Johnny Depp just sleepwalking through the fucking Hello Little Girl song as the wolf and wearing a hat that he would wear in real life. I don't know why the fuck Johnny Depp was allowed to participate in this. <laughs> Even Steve Martin would have been better. That would have been really weird, though. I mean, it's weird, as is. Because it's a seduction. 
and we're dealing with a real little girl, and I don't care for it. So James Corden, let's talk about it. Now, I don't think he's funny. I don't think his late night show is good. I don't really watch late night shows. I didn't watch much of his. People say he's like an asshole, and he's anti-union, and uh, we're, as I record this, we're at, let's call it, I don't know, day four, day five of a the WGA strike, the writers. And apparently a few years ago, he went to a WGA meeting and he uh, advocated for lowering, lowering the minimum pay for his writers, which is not uh, great. So James Corden apparently sucks. I didn't know anything about James Corden when I saw this movie in 2014 and I thought he was really good in it. I thought he was really well cast and I really felt for him. I, I know that it's a little tired to do the big fat dumb husband and this the hot wife so him and emily blunt thing but i, I kind of i found it i found their uh, relationship very sweet it wasn't like and chip zine first of all i didn't talk about chip zine in the original cast i think that my entire style of performing is sort of informed by chip zine because i wanted to be the baker so bad when i was a kid and chip zine just acts the living fuck out of everything that he says in that original cast recording it's because of you there's a giant in our midst and my wife is dead. That sounded like a, a little more like Paul Lind, but you get where I'm going. Everything is huge with the chip scene. So, high bar, uh, but I loved uh, Corden, and I loved, you know, Chipsine and Joanna Gleason have this more of like, okay, well, whatever you say, you're my husband, but then like, oh, I'm actually the brains of this, so, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> in this movie, it's kind of like Chip, uh, James Corden is just sort of this idiot, <laughs> and she's kind of like, no, no, okay, we're, we're going to do it this way. Okay, come on, sweetie. We're going to do it this way. And Tracy Ullman, to, uh, Tracy Ullman is a, a great substitute for Barbara Brin, although not as good. Barbara Brin as Jack's mother is great. And uh, yeah, also played George's mother in Sunday at the Park with George. Listen, I have a lot to say about Into the Woods, as you can see, and I'm just going to stop. I don't have a good ending point. I don't have any way to wrap this up, but I am. I can feel this thing getting long, and I just need to stop myself. Um, I don't know. Do I have any final thoughts? Not really. I mean, I think that Into the Woods should keep being produced locally and uh, professionally because uh, it's great and as far as entry points i think if you are a person that uh is interested in sondheim and you've never heard a single sondheim musical in your life but you wanted to say you say what is this sondheim that these people are talking about pick up a copy of into the woods the uh the video and then the album it's a good way in it's very accessible and yet it contains multitudes and by God, somebody uh, better cast me as the baker before I die. Or not, because uh, it won't matter if I'm dead. It doesn't matter now. It's the last midnight. I've been bumping that song a lot this week. I haven't been bumping it. I've been listening to it. <sighs> Fucking idiot. Well, we've gotten to the point in this podcast where I've exhausted myself and I'm tired of hearing the sound of my own voice. So um, I'm just going to... Uh, pull the cord here and end the podcast and uh, hastily find a closing line for you. Give me one second. All right. I came up empty handed on this. I'm going to just re re reuse one. But before I do that, I want to just say real quick. Uh, <laughs> so 
like I said, there's only one more show left to talk about for me in this season, and that is Assassins, and I'm really looking forward to do that. But before our final episode of the season, we're going to have what we, you might call a bonus episode uh, released sometime in the next few days, uh, provided I have time uh, studying for finals. Uh, talking about, as promised, the Sondheim anthology shows, side by side by Sondheim and putting it together. Um, I have no idea how long it'll be or what it'll even be, but uh, I do want to talk about those because I um, I feel like uh, I get very worked up about them. And um, hopefully somebody out there finds it humorous when I get worked up. Um, so uh, that's it for now. We'll see you next time on Sondheim and Adderall. And I just want to let you know, folks, that sometimes people leave you halfway through a podcast. Do not let it grieve you because there's a bonus episode coming next week. So look forward to that. Thank you very much. And uh, have a great day.